0: invite open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. This morning we're going to be talking about doing whatever it takes, reaching the one. Whatever it takes, that's our theme for our North American mission offering as we pray this week and give throughout the rest of the month. Acts chapter 8. A few years back we got a phone call at the church on a Sunday morning, someone asking could a pastor please come and visit Uh, a person who was in a a trailer and, and I didn't get all the details, but found out when I got there that the the man was a hospice patient, so I told him, sure, I'd come, and I went, made my way, found the trailer there in Fulton, and went inside, and the whole living room, if you could call it, of that trailer was a hospital bed, and the man was there, and he'd been diagnosed with uh, terminal illness, and he was dying, and they just asked for a pastor to come and pray, so I went and prayed with him and was able to lead him to a commitment to know that he has assurance that he was going to go to heaven when he died. He prayed to receive Christ, and then I looked at his wife, and she was crying, and I, sometimes I'll do that. I'll just turn to the spouse and say, what about you? And this, this bride, the wife there, prayed to receive Christ also. And, and it was a reminder to me that I'd just been preaching to the congregation, but God took me to one, and that's the way God brings people to himself, one at a time. And sometimes we have to get beyond the, the multitudes of the millions of lost people in America, The tens of thousands of lost people in our county. And remember that God wants to reach that one and that we're to do whatever it takes to reach that one. So, the story, if we pick up the narration in Acts chapter 8, is of Philip, who had just recently been elected to be one of the seven. And I believe that was the roots of the office of a deacon. Uh, The story unfolds in the book of Acts as Jesus went and ascended to the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit, and there at Pentecost, his Spirit filled the church. Peter preached boldly. Thousands were saved. Stephen preached boldly. He was martyred. And then we have recorded in Acts chapter 8 how Philip preached in Samaria, and lives were changed, people were healed, demons were cast out. There was an incredible uh, revival taking place in Samaria when God speaks to Philip in the midst of that revival, and look at verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury, a very important person. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot, join him in that chariot. And Philip ran up to it, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Good question, wasn't it? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. Right out of Isaiah, chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb was silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? I love verse 35. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture and as they were traveling down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look there's water what would keep me from being baptized and philip said if you believe with your heart with all your heart you may and he replied i believe that Jesus Christ is the son of god then he ordered the chariot to stop and both philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him they came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch did not see him any longer but he went on his way rejoicing and Philip appeared in Azotus and as he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea Philip went on his way after reaching this one well, let's look at some key truths in this passage and make some points of application for us as we think about what's it going to take for us to reach the next one for Christ i love this story I don't ever get tired of the truths of what happens here in this passage as we read this account. Here's the first truth. God initiates a divine appointment. God himself initiates the divine appointment. And what I mean by divine appointment is that, that appointment where God, the divine, the, the creator of the universe, organizes and orchestrates a meeting, a special appointment. And let's talk about that. First of all, what happens in letter A, the Holy Spirit prepares the heart of the seeker. When God orchestrates this divine appointment, he's going to start in the heart of the seeker, and he does that with the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 27, the Bible says that there was an Ethiopian eunuch, an Ethiopian man, a high official of Candace, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. This man was seeking God. He had been to Jerusalem. He had heard the truth. He was exposed to the scriptures. He's reading the scriptures. He's seeking the answer. He knows the Old Testament. He has this understanding uh, enough to know that Isaiah 53 is a key significant passage. God's working in his heart. God's stirring him. God's drawing him. And it's evident that he's preparing the heart of the eunuch. That's the way God works. Folks, he, he works hours before we get there to share Christ. He works years before we get there he works generations before we get there to stir the hearts of the people. Hudson Taylor told a story of going there to China from England. He went to Ningpao and met a man named Mr. Nye, and he, he led him to receive Christ as his personal savior after building this relationship with him. Mr. Nye said to Hudson Taylor, how long have you had the good news in England? And Taylor said, well, for centuries, for generations. And Mr. Nye said, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? See, God was at work in China before Taylor even got the call to go to China. God was at work in China stirring in the hearts of that man and his father to receive Christ as Savior, but it took the missionary responding, and that's my second sub-point there. Not only does God prepare the heart of the seeker, but God prompts the witness to go to him. The Holy Spirit of God Prompts the witness. Who's a witness? You know what a witness is? It's a person who shares and testifies. A person who gives the message of of the gospel of the good news that Jesus Christ saves. Look at verse 26. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road. Philip gets up and he goes. In verse 30, when when God says, uh, the spirit tells Philip to go join the chariot, the Bible says Philip ran up to it. So the spirit of God, the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. And then the Spirit of God continues to prompt Philip to go and share. It's interesting that that God didn't say to Philip, Go to this place, meet this person. It's going to go this way, it's going to play out that way. Study up on Isaiah 53, because that's what you're going to need, and be prepared. God just said, Philip, go. God prompted him. Have you ever been there? Where God prompts you to say something, to go somewhere, to to step out of your comfort zone. We'll talk about that in a minute. And you don't know where you're going, what you're going to say when you get there. But you just say, Lord, I'm available. I'm I'm going to go. Prompted by the Spirit of God. Heard a story. Heard several stories like this. But one I'm thinking about where a, a Muslim man in a dream had this vision to go to this certain building and knock on this certain door and and in that dream, he felt it was this strong impression that he needed to respond to that dream and he went and made his way in the city and found this apartment complex and found that apartment and knocked on the door and opened the door and there was a man there waiting to share Christ with him. He said, I I don't know why I'm here, but I had a dream that I'm supposed to come to you and you're gonna tell me something. See, that's God at work. That's God speaking to the heart of a person that doesn't have any knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. God prompts, prepares the heart, prompts the witness to go. After the early morning worship service, a couple of people stopped me out there in the foyer and said, Pastor, uh, God's laid on my heart that I need to talk to this friend. I need to talk to that person. God's, God's prompting us to share Christ with those who need him. I don't know how he's prompting you, but it's usually that still small voice, that nudging. You need to say something. You need to go. You need to pray. One lady said, Pastor, I'm really not sure. I'm going to this friend who has, has cancer and I'm not sure how to approach and, and was looking for some guidance. And I said, well, you're, you just go and you pray and let God open that opportunity. So God initiates that divine appointment. I wonder, how many of you are going to rub shoulders with people this week that are seekers, that God is stirring their heart? And God's been causing them to want to know about the things of God. How many of you are gonna run into them and God is gonna prompt you to share with them? How are you gonna respond? So God initiates the divine appointment. Number two, I'm thankful in this story that the willing witness deploys. The willing witness deploys. I chose that word on purpose. To deploy means to move troops into position for military action. The willing witness, you, If you know Christ as Savior, if you're a follower of Christ, the willing witness deploys, says, okay, God, I'm available, and I'm going to go. Someone said in verse 29 there, the Holy Spirit said go, and in verse 30, Philip ran. I like that. Now, he's just telling what happened in the story, but just think of that truth. When God prompts, do you run? Do you run from him? Ask Jonah how that works. Say, Jonah, how's that working for you? Or do you run to the opportunity? God said go, Philip went, he ran. He was willing, Number letter A, he was willing to leave his comfort zone and we must be willing to leave our comfort zone. Again, I mentioned that Philip is in Samaria in the midst of this incredible revival. The Bible says in verse seven of chapter eight, unclean spirits were coming out, crying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who were possessed. Many were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. Philip is in the middle of a revival, and he is the instrument God has used to bring revival. See, it's not just Philip saying, well, things are going on great down at church. I think I'll leave church and go and, and follow God's, God's leadership. Philip is the, the preacher. He's the one proclaiming. God says, I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I want you to leave that, Philip. Leave the, leave the crowd. Leave the excitement. Go where the need is. A decade or so ago, the, some churches in Houston got this passion to go revitalize some inner city churches. And at First Baptist Church, they took on this challenge and John Bosanio said, the pastor of the church at the time, he said, I gave two invitations every Sunday morning, one to join the church and one to leave the church. I think that's good. That's, that's biblical theology. The first invitation is if you don't know Christ, you need to come be a part of this fellowship. You need to trust him. Second invitation, if you do, you need to get out there and share him. And they had hundreds of people leave their congregation of the great worship and the great choir and the great preaching at First Baptist Church Houston and, and then go to some of those smaller inner city churches and jumpstart them and revitalize them where the, the need was. You have to leave your comfort zone that packet that you have the, the uh, prayer request for our North American missionaries, you'll read about people who've left their comfort zone, people who've gone to cities that they weren't comfortable in. One man says, I went to San Francisco because I didn't hear about any vibrant churches there, so I went to plant a church there in San Francisco. Leaving your comfort zone, are you willing to do that? And when you do, letter B is gonna have to happen. You need to be willing to lean on the Lord. Be willing to lean on the Lord. Philip goes, and he's available. That's, the, that's the, the greatest quality that a follower of Christ can have. It's just to say, God, I'm available. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Use me. I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone, and I'm willing to lean on you. Listen, when you don't know what, what you don't, my, God may reveal to you the first step, but if you don't know what the second step is, you have to rely on him, don't you? You have to lean on him. You have to trust him. I've shared my testimony repeatedly about how I botched my first witnessing opportunities and many more over the years where I messed it up, but God got in the middle of it and I just trusted him. First time I presented Christ to a young man, I had uh, every tract I could find in in my drawer. I had the steps to peace with God. I think I had the four spiritual laws. I had how to have a full and meaningful life. I think I had two or three translations of the Bible, and I shared them all with the guy. And I said, there you go. And man, I, we, a friend of mine and I, I, I think we went for about 30 minutes letting this guy know how he needed Jesus. And so I said, Dave, what do you think? I was ready. It's my first time I ever shared Christ. I said, Dave, what do you think? He said, I think I'm gonna be late for work if you don't let me get out of here. That's not the response I was waiting for. But I want you to know, I went into that praying with all my heart that God would use me. And when Dave said he wanted to get to work, it broke my heart and I prayed with all my heart that God would still get through to him. I said, God, I'm trusting you to do the work. You know what God reminded me of? He's the one that does the work. See, he just needs me to be willing and available. It's interesting, the angel of the Lord could have gone to the, to the eunuch and presented the gospel but it wouldn't have been right. It would not have come from a person who'd been redeemed and had experienced the grace of God that our choir sang about, that we got to sing about. He wanted a redeemed follower of Christ to go present the good news and to trust God to get in the middle of it. Lean on him. I don't know how many of us in this room would say, you know what, I think I'm equipped and I think I can do it. I think I could probably present the gospel clearly and uh, if the pastor was looking over my shoulder, he'd give me an A+. The pastor doesn't even get an A+. I would say this. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what kind of Bible knowledge you have. If you've been redeemed, if you've been saved, you can share. Tell your story. Lean on him. So God initiates the divine appointment. The willing witness is deployed. Number three, the message is delivered. The message is delivered. One author said it's not good news if it doesn't get there in time. The message has to be delivered, like registered mail. You ever get that knock on the door, that doorbell, and there's the postal worker standing there with something for you to sign? And you close the door back up. <laughs> You're always curious, at least I am. What's this all about? Am I I in trouble? That's my first thought. Am I in trouble? Second thought is, uh, is this a bill? Is this, what's going on here? I don't want to sign that thing. Because when I sign that thing, it says message has been delivered and I get that receipt. Whoever sent it figured it was important enough to pay to get that special receipt. So that when they get that receipt, you know what they know? The message has been delivered. That person that sends that message isn't really responsible for how I receive it. They just want to know that it got delivered. I wasn't any more responsible for Dave's response to the gospel than I am with anybody else's response to the gospel. My responsibility is to deliver the message. Message delivered. Three steps to that process, or from this passage anyway. Begin where the person is. Begin where the person is. Begin right where they are. The Bible says that the eunuch was reading out of Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering of the Messiah. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, this lamb who was silent, who didn't open his mouth, who was humiliated, who laid down his life. And The Bible says in verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. Start where the person is. If they are open and transparent and are convicted of their sin and they're crying out, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, tell me how I can receive Christ, you start where they are. You talk about forgiveness and you lead them to, the, to receive Christ. If they say, you know what, I've got questions about the whole Bible, you might have to go back to the beginning. We, we have a track, I brought a copy of it here, a, a small booklet called The Story, and this is written from... Some folks who realize that even in our culture today, you can't just start with John 3.16. You can't just say the Bible says. You have to go back to creation. And it tells the story of God's redemptive plan beginning at creation of the universe and going to the Garden of Eden and showing about the fall of man. And and we've got several of these out there in the foyer if you want to pick one up to use. Some people, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. You have to talk about creation and the fall and restoration. Start, Start where people are. If they have a little bit of Bible knowledge, piggyback on that. Ask them what they know. We have a little app now on our phone that our state convention has put together. It's called One Cross. And it is over 100 languages sharing the gospel. You can dial it up and you can punch in a language and there'll be a video testimony from a person sharing that gospel testimony in that language. I went right to Chinese and looked up the Chinese and put the little video and I can hold my phone up to somebody who speaks Chinese and they can hear the testimony from somebody from China? And I went to Thai and looked that one up because that's where we've been on mission projects. I told our folks in in, in uh, Thailand about it, and they've downloaded that app and they've already used it out there at the pier, passing out Bibles because they can't explain the gospel, but they've got it right there. That's a tool. You start where people are. If there's a language barrier, find a way to bridge the language barrier. That's what Philip did. I need to move on, don't I? Back up what you say with scripture. Philip went to the scriptures that he was reading and told the whole story of the gospel, connecting the dots like we talked about last week of the the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Back up what you say with scripture. Let the word of God do the work. Let the word of God do the transformation and the stirring and the convicting by the spirit of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word. I wrote a little track about this size of a few years ago, to share the gospel with children. And I took the bridge illustration. I don't know if you all have seen that. Steps of Peace with God uses it. The bridge uses it. Uh, It's just a picture of God is on one side and we're on the other. And and we talk about the bridge, that Jesus Christ is the bridge. I drew this little track and some simple truths in there to share the gospel with kids. And and we used it for several years. And God convicted me that I had all the truths in there, but I didn't have scripture in there. So I went back in where it said God loves you we put in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We're put in there, you're a sinner. We put in there Romans 3, for all have sinned. And we just loaded it up with Scripture to back up the truth, and God has used that because his word is there. When you share the gospel, use the word of God. Memorize a couple of Scriptures. Find a place in your Bible. Highlight them. Back it up with Scripture. Letter C, bring the person to the cross. Bring that person to the cross of Christ. The Bible says in verse 35 he explained the good news about Jesus. What's the good news? That Jesus came, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again. That's the good news. Take them to the cross. People will talk with you all day about church, about Baptists, about Methodists, about Presbyterians. They'll talk to you about denominations. They'll talk to you about God. But but you have to get them to the cross because that's where salvation is. It's not in being good. It's not in being a church member. It's about trusting in what Christ did at the cross to pay the price for our sin. It's amazing how the enemy will get people distracted when you begin to talk about Jesus. Have you noticed that in the workplace? Talk about church. Talk about God even. Talk about all that stuff. But you bring the name of Jesus in, you start talking about the cross, and you can feel the tension in the air. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle that's taking place. Bring that person to the cross. When we were in Thailand a few years ago, I was talking with a man on the pier, and we're ministering to the Chinese people in Thailand, if you can figure that out, and we meet people from Russia and Iraq. A man from Iraq came up, and he asked what we were doing, and we shared, he spoke English. We shared we're passing out Bibles, but these are Chinese Bibles, and he started talking and asking all kinds of questions, and he wanted me to explain the difference in Catholicism and Protestantism, and I said, that's easy i didn't say that's easy i said well let me see and so i knew he at least had that much of a background so i began i started where he was i began where he was talking about the bible and talking about god and salvation and jesus and tried to point out in my understanding that one emphasizes grace and the other emphasizes works and i started to bring it back to talking about him and his acceptance of that truth and he wanted to talk about american politics from then on i want to talk about american foreign policy He didn't want to go to the cross. You know why he didn't? Because there's conviction there. It's our responsibility to bring them to that point where they're face-to-face with the reality that they, because of their sin, are responsible for Christ dying on the cross for them. When uh, we were sharing, actually, finally, that moment of leading my daughter, Carissa, to Christ as a five-year-old, She'd heard the gospel from the time she could understand, and we would prayed with her and encouraged her, and we were praying for God to show us when she was ready, because I didn't want to be one of those preachers that leads their kids in a prayer so we can say, my kid's going to heaven now. I, I wanted this to be God at work in her heart. And I can remember as we sat on the couch that day, and, and she was obviously at that moment ready, asking those questions, deeply reflecting on, it was around Easter, the reality of the cross and the crucifixion. I could see in her eyes a light went on when she realized that it was her sins that caused Jesus to die on the cross. And she began to weep, broken, because she recognized it was her sins. She was responsible. Have you realized that one yet? That Jesus didn't just die for the world. He didn't just die for the sins of mankind. He died for your sins. God initiates that divine appointment. The witness is deployed. The message is delivered. And the seeker discovers the truth. Discovering the truth. A commitment is made. Letter A. He says in verse 36, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Now this translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, has verse 37 in there. Your Bible may not many bibles leave that verse out and put it in the footnotes but there is a footnote on mine that basically says the best greek manuscripts don't have this verse most feel like a scribe wrote verse 37 in to explain verse 36. now i believe it's true that before philip would baptize that man philip needed to make sure that that man had trusted christ as his savior i believe it's true that that man had to confess his belief in christ so verse 37 wasn't necessary, whatever scribe put that in, but it's a reality that this man made a commitment to Christ as Savior. The commitment's important. Zach and Amber Edwards are, are North American missionaries in Wyoming. We're helping them church, plant that church called Life Point in Cheyenne. Last week, Zach, I got on the phone with Zach after Easter. He said, how'd your Easter go? How, and I asked, how'd your Easter go? So we are talking about Easter a couple that, that they had begun praying for three years ago and had invited them to church for three years, prayed for them, finally showed up Easter Sunday morning, and, and the lady received Christ as her personal Savior. She made a decision. That commitment was the difference. You can pray for someone. You can encourage someone. You can have them come to church, but the, the key is that they've received Christ as personal Lord and Savior. The commitment was made and then they commemorated the commitment with baptism. We believe that baptism is the celebration. It is the the outward expression of an inner conversion experience. Water baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away your sins. We believe that it is the outward expression that commemorates the decision that you've made in your heart. That's exciting that this man says, I want to demonstrate that I've been saved. By obedience to believers' baptism. Whatever it takes to reach that one, God took Philip and took him to that one. Who does God want to take you to? What neighbor, co worker, store attendant, waitress does God want you to share Christ with? Roy Edgman tells a story that while he was in Okinawa, Japan, he had a radio broadcast there, a ministry, a Christian ministry. And he would invite people to call in and ask questions. And one night, a, a man called a soldier. He said, I, I need to see you. So the next day, Edgman went to visit this man and found out he was a decorated war veteran from Vietnam. The man shared how in Vietnam, his, his whole uh, unit had been killed and he had to take their bodies out of a burnt helicopter. And he was the only one that survived. And at that moment, he, he prayed a prayer. He said, he looked up in the sky, the only one to survive that attack. And he said, God, he said, I'm ready to give up. I need to decide right now whether to hang on or just give up and die. God, would you let me know if you exist? Let me know if you exist. And then he said God impressed upon his heart. He said he didn't hear a voice, but God impressed upon his heart. I'm God, I care for you. I'm gonna spare your life through this war. You're gonna find me. And then he went on. And the soldier told Roy Edgman, when I heard you on the radio tonight, I knew that was the answer to my prayer god said there's the guy that's going to help you and he led him to christ and i thought here's a soldier in the midst of battle trauma and he cries out to god and god stirs his heart and god puts this radio broadcast roy edgman at the right time for this man to hear so that they could come together so that he could open his heart to christ all over rockport fulton aransas pass portland ingleside Victoria, God is speaking to people. He's preparing their hearts. And then he's speaking to us and saying, will you go? Will you share? Let's pray together.